Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota Brookhaven services all makes and models. That could be why we were voted best service department the past two years. Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music on this first show of 2024 and a happy new year to you and to all. Happy new year. Here we are. We have made it. We, we made are. it. <laughs> Pushing right into a, a brand new year. Uh, excitement abounds, does it not? We are refreshed, recharged, renewed. <laughs> All those rewords. <laughs> we are here, ready to get it going again. What was it Alan Shepard said when he was sitting in the Mercury capsule? <laughs> Let's light this candle. <laughs> here we go. Wow. A lot of stuff going on. That old legislature, they're going to be down there gaveling in at noon today is what I hear. I think I'm headed down there after the show just to check it out, see what in the heck is going on. We got Douglas Carswell, president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy, in the Element Wealth studio at 12.05 today. We'll get Mr. Carswell's take on the upcoming legislative session and find out what his organization, the Center for Public Policy, is going to be advocating for. Well, there we go. We had a, uh, a flurry of football. <laughs> uh, man, if you're a college football junkie, that New Year's period is the time for it, for sure. I did head over to Atlanta. That was uh, really a very enjoyable trip. It's always enjoyable when you win the game, of course. Makes for a much more pleasant return. But honestly, I ended up driving with a friend. We split the driving duties. It was pretty simple. The, uh, the traffic was, was moderate once you, of course, once you get to Atlanta. Uh, but between here and there until you got to the loop. It was uh, quite nice, quite an easy drive. Had to make the obligatory stop at the Bucky's over there in Leeds, Alabama, and got my photo made with the beaver. <laughs> what an incredible business model that is, regardless of what you think about the deal. Like, what, 8,000 pumps or something else? <laughs> I just think it's funny that now it seems the tradition when traveling where it's available is to stop at a Bucky's. Yeah. When I was growing up, 
on the, the trips we would take to Atlanta to go to a Braves game or go to Six Flags or something, or the Peach Bowl occasionally, yeah. we would always try to stop at Stuckey's. That's true. I remember that. I remember when they came onto the scene when I was a youngster. That's right. You could kind of say that was the predecessor. Right? I just think it's funny that they, they're both that ucky at the end. Like That's true. Stuckey's and Bucky's. <laughs> that is true. The uh, the founder, I think I read the story on that a couple of years ago. His nickname was Beaver, and that's where the whole idea came from. Kind of has, you know, I don't want to say anything about a person's looks, but kind of resembles a bit, I guess you could say. So I mean, when you've made that much money off of it, cares? I don't think they really care. That's that right. <laughs> but that's where that idea came from. But, but has anybody ever noticed the signage? on the gas pumps and really posted all around. Would you call it a store? I'm not really sure if that is an appropriate word to describe the indoor environment. But advertising Instead of for a help. convenience store, it's a convenience carnival. That's right. <laughs> the, have you noticed the pay? They, they post these, these Oh, signs. yeah, they're job listings. Unbelievable. I mean, it really is. It, and, of course, I submit you can sort of tell because of the quality of the people and the service. And it's amazing to me, just talking about the business model, how dang clean and organized and well-stocked those places are considering the volume of traffic that flows through there. Because there's an army of people making sure of that, as you know. But it's it's a cool business model, for sure. And uh, my hat's off to the founders and the folks who came up with those innovations. Who would have ever thought you'd have that many gas pumps, honestly, and this giant store that's got pretty much everything. The leader in the clubhouse for the nickname is from the 662 on the ceasefire text line. Yeah. It's the gas pro shop. <laughs> I like it. That's cool. It truly, and then there's also, I should say, I think I counted a dozen electrical chargers, the Tesla chargers, when uh, we passed through there and stopped en route back home on Saturday. We, we returned after the game. I did notice of the 12, there were three in use, Tesla's charging, of the 12. So there you go. Don't know what all that means, but I just thought it was interesting. I just observed. Well, you saw over the holidays where we had the first head-on collision with a cyber truck in California. I did. Didn't look like it did anything to the cyber truck. It is a tank, is it not? Demolished the other car. Yeah, exactly. And I also believe I caught a story. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. Yeah. Uh, I caught a story about now in California the law that exempts, I believe this is right, is it electric vehicles or autonomous vehicles from, I think it's autonomous vehicles, from uh, traffic citations, even when they're in the wrong. You see this? I think I got that right. Yeah, they have to be driverless. Driverless, okay. Like the Google car. Okay, autonomous. Yeah. Yeah, so even if the vehicle, I believe, is is in the wrong, committed some sort of traffic violation, still... There's no driver to whom you can get the ticket. That makes sense. How about that? Is that a sign of where things are going? 
in the country. By the way, a slew of new laws across this country go into effect that we'll get to uh, effective today. Actually, I guess yesterday. But uh, a whole bunch of those are really something, shall we say. And there's a rather famous mouse that is now in the public domain. Saw that. Uh, the old, original uh, Disney iconic characters. It's not just the mouse, by the way, I saw that. Uh, well, yeah, but he he's the most famous. That's he's the, the most precursor famous. to Mickey Mouse. And that's don't, right. Don't make the mistake like one guy did in the... Uh, Funny Money World. I think it, I think he made an NFT out of it, but he made an NFT out of Mickey Mouse. So, uh, yeah, Disney's attorneys will be contacting him shortly because even though he may be able to make fifty thousand Ethereum or whatever he was charging for the <laughs> NFT, I don't think that's legal because it's not Mickey Mouse. It's Steamboat Willie, uh, the original, which is a completely different character. I mean, that was. The precursor to yeah. ultimately what became Mickey Mouse that we all know of today. But you're right. That is a different deal. Now, I think in some time, like 50 years from now, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, the current Mickey Mouse becomes available. If the they don't change the law again. That's right. I mean, there's a lot of times. Disney has been the, the leader of getting copyright and yes. imaging rights and What's the word I'm looking for? Intellectual, intellectual property. Intellectual property. Yeah, that's yeah. The, probably the proper term. Yeah. They, they've, they've been the leaders of lobbying to get those, that, those timelines extended. Because it used to be a certain amount of time. That's yeah. all the time you got for copyright. And then they changed it to, well, it had to be longer than that. And then they changed it to, well, it had to be the longest between that time or after the creator's death or something like that. They, they, they keep moving the goalpost. They're pretty good, is Disney at that. they got a lot to protect, I would say, in that respect. And it, let's be honest, it ain't just them. No. I mean, there, are, there are other organizations that seek to protect their IP as I mean, well. Just look at Winnie the Pooh. It recently became public domain, at least some of the characters, including Winnie. Right. And you had that really awful horror movie come out because somebody's like, hey, it's it's public domain. I can use it. Let's make a horror movie where yeah. Winnie the Pooh's the bad guy. <laughs> um, C Spire text line, um, did you get the brisket sandwiches at the Bucky's? In fact, I did enjoy a brisket sandwich. I also had a three-meat sandwich. Actually, I had the brisket sandwich on the way home. We want to get out of town and get on back. That was my dinner <laughs> Saturday night. But I also bought a three-meat sandwich that um, I enjoyed for lunch yesterday. <laughs> really good, by the way. Um, and you know what else is good is their bakery. Lots of uh, assorted baked goods. They're pretty good. Let's see. Chad in Van Cleve says, mention the bathrooms at Bucky's. They're epic, Chad. That's all. <laughs> Colossal bathrooms. Never has there been a more spacious environment for one to relieve themselves than the bathroom at the Bucky's. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming back in the Element Wealth Studio on this first show of 2024. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to Earth. 
third rock from the sun. She walks into Smokey's one hip at a time like a broken field runner slipping through the line. He likes the way she looks, so he calls a little wife, says, don't wait up for me, I'll be working late tonight. Wife hangs up the phone, bursts into tears, calls her sister up and cries. We are back in the Element Well studio. It is middays. Cranking it up here, the brand new year, 2024. And we are ready to go, ready and raring. On the ceasefire text line, Rick and Gulfport says, if it doesn't have Mexican jumping beans at the cash register, it's not a real road trip destination. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, let's see. Well, that don't make sense. K Dog and Wiggins says someone has to be responsible for a traffic violation. This is in reference to a new law in California that exempts self-driving vehicles from traffic citations. Even if they broke the law, violated some sort of traffic law. Hmm. They're essentially immune. And you know, there still some Accidents that are occurring. I mean, this is it's new technology. It's got bugs in it. Not quite ready for prime time. Certainly on any to any degree on a pervasive basis. Interesting. Police are unable to ticket driverless cars, and it has to do with a loophole, by the way, in the law. It's to, based on what you said. To who? I guess the owner of the vehicle, but the way the law in California presently reads, no citation for a moving violation can be issued if the vehicle is being operated in a driverless mode. This is an internal memo from San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott. That includes speeding, running a red light, and reckless driving though they still can be eligible for parking fines. Oh, very important parking fines. So this, honestly, is just an example of government lagging society. And this is just one of, I think, what are going to be a million examples as technology progresses and and, um, becomes more situated into life and uh, injected into life, you're going to come up with these things that our laws just did not contemplate. Look no further than the artificial intelligence revolution. You've even got justices on the Supreme Court expressing their concerns, understandably so, about how AI could affect elections. I mean, everything from campaigns and uh, content produced by campaigns, produced by opponents of, um, of their political foes, voting, elections. I mean, just all the above is affected here. No doubt about it. And so government's got to get on the stick and respond, but... You don't want to overdo it. And there are some concerns about 
the Biden administration considering regulation and policy that could hinder the the promise and the development of artificial intelligence, which is no doubt going to transform our nation, our globe, I believe in a very positive way. Does that mean there aren't inherent risks? Of course there are. Always is the case with novel technologies. Uh, The example I like to use a lot, you probably heard it, is nuclear power, nuclear fission. There are benefits of it to society, of, of that innovation, and then of course there are risks and threats, no doubt. But gosh, you you want to make sure that you address the risks and the threats in a way that doesn't impede the positive development and creations that can occur. And I think the same is the case here. So it's going to be interesting watching that, no doubt about it. California also instituted a new law allowing human composting, says Steve on the road. I know there's a series of new laws. I, I didn't know that. Uh And they've got several crazy things going on out there in California, Uh, no doubt about that. There are a number of the new laws that went into effect, perhaps one of the most polarizing and marquee issues is gender-affirming care for minors in particular. And there are are a number of Republican-controlled states that enacted restrictions, including Mississippi. And there are others which are going in the other direction and trying to make the care, the treatment, the procedures, the therapies even more accessible. Idaho and Louisiana have bans which take effect yesterday under the Idaho law. Any practitioner who provides puberty-blocking medication or surgical treatments to transition a gender on minors could face a $5,000 fine and a felony charge. Louisiana, like Mississippi, bars such treatments, therapies, operations, etc., on those under 18. Now, you got Maryland. This is just another example of something we do discuss quite a bit here on the program is just how how bifurcated. I don't even know if bias is uh, valid because it's more than just two <laughs> uh, approaches to some of these these really contentious, controversial policies and issues. But the bottom line is you got states going in completely diametrically opposed directions on so many of these high-profile matters. This is one of so-called gender-affirming care available and extended to minors, for minors. Maryland is one of several Democrat states that enacted protections for such treatments for all ages. And as of Monday, in the state of Maryland, Medicaid will now cover such treatments. Incredible. Then you've got abortion. 
certainly since the the Roe, the Dobbs case, which essentially invalidated the Roe decision from the early 70s, turning the issue over to the states, states have been busy enacting laws based on their uh, their opinion, I guess, and their position on the matter. In, in Mississippi, like so many other states, we strengthen restrictions on abortion procedure, whereas in some states they expand it. Washington State is an example where abortion procedures are now more accessible, including changes in insurance regulation, so that private insurance has to cover the procedure. That's as of January 1. And then in California, local health care providers from are protected from out-of-state litigation if they provide abortion treatment procedure to patients that have traveled from states with various restrictive abortion laws where they could not avail themselves of an abortion. So you can just see how we're just going in different directions. It's amazing we're even part of the same country on a lot of these, these critical matters. But I can't remember a time in our history, what, the Civil War maybe, where there was such stark contrast on... On such a variety of issues. Yeah, a variety. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's just there's a litany of them, and that's one of them. The minimum wage is another one. you got... Wage hikes, minimum wage hikes taking effect as of yesterday in Alaska, Arizona, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska. I mean, it's a long list. Some are set to increase their minimum wage uh, July 1. Florida has enacted law which will increase the minimum wage September 30th. Washington the state of Washington, after the increase that went into effect yesterday, will have the highest minimum wage of all states at $16.28. That's up from $15.74. But Washington, D.C., not a state, but certainly could be, could be uh, considered in this analysis will have the highest minimum wage in the nation at $17.05. Coming right back in the Element Well studio. Please stay with us. Attention, adoring fans. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. We're back in the Element Well studio. Douglas Carswell, president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy, will join middays at 12.05. We'll get Mr. Carswell's take on the 2024 
legislative session, which gets underway here, Rhino, in about an hour and a half. Officially. Officially. They're going to bang that old gavel and say, come to order here. I would imagine there's been some wheeling and dealing and talking and working and meetings behind the scenes going on long before today. But yeah, No doubt about it. Yeah. Get out there and make some laws. That's what they're going to do. And the ultimate <laughs> irony of all of it is they'll all show up and, all right, we're here. All right, we'll come back tomorrow. That's exactly right. <laughs> Check in, as they oh, say. Yeah. Is Bucky's in Leeds or Auburn? We stopped there both ways, says John from Hurley. The one I stopped at, John, was in Leeds. It's on the eastern side of Birmingham. I think it's between Birmingham. Is that Anniston up there that 20 passes through, I believe? That's where I was. Now, I don't know. Is there one in Auburn as well? I'm not familiar with all the locations. And then we got one under construction down on the coast, right? It's not open yet, is it? I don't think so, no. Yeah. So, uh, again, quite the business model those folks have, no doubt about it. David on the rest says, Max had room for president. We were talking about how AI, I didn't think about that. David, that's kind of the, that was kind of the prototype, I guess you could call it, maybe, of modern day AI. I mean, it was more animation than anything, but. Yeah, because there was definitely somebody doing the talking. It wasn't a computer. That's true. Where it gets crazy, as you know, is when you start seeing video productions that include, I guess, a figure that is a person, AI generated the the entire content uh, that that features someone doing something bad, mostly that political opponents would use in their campaigns. You've already seen some of this stuff. Right? Oh yeah, there's crazy I mean, stuff out there already. A lot of what you see at this point is from scammers or content creators or people trying to to do the least amount of work to get the most bang for their buck. So you'll see video of a, a figure you know, say it's President Biden, or it could be The Rock, the wrestler, or it could be John Wayne. or Just think of a famous person that you would recognize their face and their voice. AI is pretty simple to get your head wrapped around to the point where you can tell it to recreate a voice. So let's just go with John Wayne. So you've got John Wayne's voice. The AI is going to go and grab all the clips of John Wayne from the internet, and it'll, it'll be able to talk pretty close to how John Wayne would talk and say whatever you want him to say. The next step is attaching that audio to believable video. And that's where it gets a little harder. That's why if you'll see some of these scam ads on YouTube or on social media where it sounds like somebody, like usually Joe Rogan or President Biden or somebody, it sounds like them. It's a little off, but it could it could be convincing if you weren't really paying attention. But they'll show a video where it's not dubbed. Like the, the mouth is not moving at the same time you're hearing the words. It's just video of them because, once again, if you're not really paying attention, you just see, say, Joe Rogan, and you hear Joe Rogan's voice, you're, you're not really paying attention to see if that's him talking in the video and saying that. So that's that's the level you're at now for the vast majority of what you're seeing. 
There's also a push with content creators where they're they're putting a little bit more work into it, and they're not trying to scam you out of money, so it's not like phishing where it's just try to get it out there, where they're trying to create content, but they're running into the obstacles of that may be someone's likeness, yeah. and you don't have the rights to it, or their voice, and you don't have the rights to their voice. So it, generative AI is interesting, and it does have the potential to be used for ill. I just don't think there's a whole lot of people in America right now in the world of politics that are seriously considering using it at that level. Now, you, you go to our opponents like Russia or China or North Korea, they're, I can guarantee you they're trying to figure out a way to make President Biden do something believable on video that they can get away with. I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, it it's, may not be uh, likely that uh, a, a, a candidate could use it, the technology, in their campaign. Uh, showing their opponent in a negative light a video. But it is incredibly powerful. And the problem, as you know, is once it's out there and it goes viral, you can't unsee it. Right. And and so the various distribution platforms, mainly, that would be involved in distributing such content, such as social media, they're trying to figure out right now how to rein this stuff in and how to at least attach some sort of of notice of uh, on the content saying hey we think this was ai generated or something to that effect and i and i believe that there's consideration that uh, law consideration of laws to be enacted that would require in campaigns that uh, some sort of note be associated with the content that would inform the consumers of that content that this had some AI involved in the creation of the content, be it video or text. And there's a huge difference in AI retouching a video versus AI-generated video. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. You can use AI to retouch a video, and it's just going to make everything look like it was shot at the same time on the same day. It's not really going to be generating anything from whole cloth. It's just like a filter from Instagram applied to the whole video. Whereas generative AI is where you get some of these monstrosities. Like you can go on the internet, you can find the AI-generated pizza commercial or the AI-generated 90s ads or stuff like that. And you've got these people... Lloyds, these these things that look like humans, but they have six or seven fingers, and they have two sets of teeth, and they're they're pushing pizza through a mask, and it it's stuff that doesn't exist in the real world, and the computer doesn't know that, so it's just throwing it in there, and it you can easily tell the difference, but they're also a lot of times not trying to hide it for comedic effect, no doubt, um, and of course the uh, it's sort of a difference in prompting some AI tools to with some ideas, which means it essentially goes out and, and scours, filters a, a giant repository of content and then creates something from that. Essentially, that's what generative oh, yeah. AI does. But the other thing that, that uh, at least Supreme Court Justice, Chief Justice John Roberts, he warned about this uh, this past Sunday that AI is going to begin playing a role in deciding cases 
in legal matters in general. And, and he's just issuing a warning that we've got to be prepared for this. Our, our legal systems, our courts, our law enforcement. I agree. All the above. So this is, uh, I think this is going to challenge uh, our government uh, when it comes to certainly legal cases, legal matters, campaigns. I mean, uh, I mean, just think things about we hadn't the, thought about in in the field of law. You've got paralegals, which are basically paid researchers. They're paid experts in the field of law. They may or may not be lawyers. Most of them aren't, but some of them want to be. And I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush, but they are the the legwork of lawyers. You do have some lawyers that do their own research and don't have paralegals. You got some lawyers that do no research and they take everything from their paralegals. Yeah. So it, it, I realize this is a, a wide ranging field, but when you're talking especially about research and analysis of research and compilation of research and, and information, you can either tap it into a computer and have it spit it out, collated and ready to rock, or you can pay somebody to do that same thing and it likely take longer. It's incredible. It is very powerful. I've got a friend in the Northeast that is, I think I may have shared that before, is president of the IEEE organization. That's the International Electrical Engineers. I can't remember what the, the, all, the wor- all the letters stand for exactly represent. But it's the, it's the Association of Electrical Engineers. Global. He's the head guy. I met him on social media, um, and and then we've had some just just uh, offline discussions. He's a big user, and he likes to test, you know, the Chat GPT and the generative AI tools, and he'll throw all kinds of crazy questions at it. It's it's astonishing what it comes back with, and it's often very controversial topics. By the way, he uh, he leans right. He he would uh, fit right in here in our audience as a conservative. And he'll throw at these kind of thorny issues and topics that really sort of challenge the left's narrative. It's, it's pretty fascinating what it comes back with. But we're stepping aside for a break right now. <clears throat> Pardon me. We're in the Element Well studio coming back with more on Middays. Please stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Element Wealth Studio. Since we've been on the air, I have watched the Dow. That kangaroo is hopping around. It's been up. It's been down. It has crossed the unchanged line numerous times today. In general, the news is a little bit negative. The Nasdaq's way down right now. The Dow's up 50 points. It was down as much as 270. The concerns are that uh, three major concerns. One, we got China showing that their economy is still struggling. And that, uh, that weighs on investor sentiment. We got a bit of turmoil in the Middle East, and there are concerns about 
how that might impact the price of oil. Always a concern, the geopolitical stress in the Middle East. That's going on. And then you've got the 10-year Treasury bonds that are approaching 4%, and that has a downward effect, especially on the big tech stocks on the NASDAQ. One of the big investment houses also came out with a downgrade on Apple, a rare downgrade. Now, it's a point in time. That's the way you have to look at that stuff. I can't remember which one it was. It may have been J.P. Morgan, but that's just today. They've downgraded it. And that's, Barclays. Who was it? Barclays. Barclays. Okay, thank you. Um, so they came out, and, and that's always going to have a negative impact. So the stock's down, Apple is today. And, they, and they're saying that they foresee uh, sluggish iPhone sales. Now, don't feel sorry for Apple. They're on track to make $120 billion, the most profitable company in the world, on sales of about $450 billion. Contrast them to Walmart. Remember, Robert Wright was all over Walmart about a month ago. That's why you, the cost of everything is up. It's that profit Walmart's making. $10 billion a year. $10 billion on more revenue than Apple. Apple makes 12 times more than Walmart with about 25% as many employees. It's, it's astonishing. But nobody ever says anything about that. And they shouldn't, in my view. I mean, people will part with their money gladly for what Apple produces. But they, um, they are the most profitable company uh, on the planet. I don't see that changing anytime soon. And there we go. Thomas says, are you talking about the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers? I am not, Thomas. That is a union, the IBEW. I explicitly stated the IEEE, I-E-E-E, that's the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineer. That is a professional association. It is a global one to which electrical engineers and, and those who work in the electronics industry, not electrical workers that, let's say, would, would uh, be involved in installing uh, wiring as, as a construction endeavor. This is different. And by the way, I, um, I recalled that they also produce standards uh, for the networking industry, something I remember in my work days. You actually looked it up. How many standards have they issued today? As of 2020, they have 1,200 standards that are set in stone and another 650 that are under development. So they're just a, a, a governing organization in that respect where uh, they collectively, their membership, uh, develop and design and then document these standards. And then this is what allows us to have this, this open compatibility standard communication protocols where it doesn't matter who's, who makes uh, the device, they all can communicate because they adhere to the same standards as established by the IEEE. Using the same ports, have the same connectors. That's right. Use the, yeah. Yeah. All the above. And the, the, one that, the one that you have likely seen the most is IEE standard 802.11, 802.11. That's Wi-Fi. Yeah. And once that was developed, then all the folks who make... Uh, various networking equipment, 
and all the devices, all the infrastructure involved in connecting computers and devices via wireless adhere to that. That's why we have this compatibility, and that's also what drives the price down, because no one company has like some proprietary communications protocol, and uh, you have to buy everything they make, A to Z, to effectively communicate. Well, that's not the case when you have these standards, and everybody is willing to uh, submit to that, and then they create to that, and, it, and so it makes opportunity for, for all those that wish to to make uh, such technology. It's pretty cool. But yeah, it's an um, interesting organization. But my friend loves to send all these crazy chat GPT prompts, and it's, uh, it's fascinating. Uh, in fact, I may share a couple of you, uh, a couple of them with you. They're they're sort of funny. He comes up with some pretty creative ideas where he he mixes things that, like Amish and Marxism, for example, and it'll come out with this response that's, huh? It's pretty neat. We're coming right back. We got Fox News and Super Talk News in store for you now, and then we're back in the Element Well Studio for two more hours of middays. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio, that is Wheel in the Sky from the Infinity album. That was the fourth studio album produced by the group, 1978. Oh my gosh, what a great tune, still popular today, I would say. Well, don't forget, we are once again in the Element Well studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income growth and guarantees. 601-879-4395. That, my friends, is the ceasefire text line. Please do not text and drive. And the Gallo Show is going to be live at the Mississippi Economic Council's Capital Day. That'll be at the Mississippi Trademark in downtown Jackson this coming Thursday. You don't want to miss this opportunity to visit with state leaders and legislators as the new legislative session gets underway. To become a sponsor or register, go to MSMEC. Dot com and sign up for the Super Talk Mississippi newsletter, especially now that the session is about to be underway because they're going to keep you informed on a daily basis. You know, we'll be interviewing lots of members of the legislature and other statewide leaders on this program, on the Gallo Show, and that often becomes the subject matter for many of the pieces 
that are drafted by our fantastic news team. You want to stay up to date with all that information because you know Rhino and I are going to be tracking those bills here pretty soon when they start dropping, no doubt about it. So um, somebody said, do you think on the ceasefire tax line, this is Dan in Hattiesburg, pardon me, do you think uh, that this might be a selling point for driverless vehicles, talking about this new law? Actually, it's not a new law. It's law in California as presently uh, drafted and uh, enshrined in statute that essentially exempts self-driving vehicles from various traffic citations. No, I, I don't, honestly, Dan. I think it's a loophole in the law that they're looking at, at uh, making some changes to, and it really stems from the fact that I don't have the statute in front of me in the language. My guess is, Rhino, we'll, we'd find similar situations in other states. Because who would have thought when they wrote these laws, which have been on the books for a long time, running a red light and stop sign and speeding and the like, typical uh, reckless driving, I can't think of all of them, but um, who would have thought that that we would have to, uh, I guess, cite a vehicle without a driver? Right. That, I mean, that, that wasn't... Contemplated, yeah, when those laws were drafted. So I, I think it's just a situation where law lags current technology. I do personally believe some people may find this a bit radical, and they may, t- may disagree, and that's perfectly fine. But I believe for some time that we are headed to a point. I'd say it's a dozen years out, maybe. I felt that kind of 2035 would be the pivotal year where it may become illegal to drive an automobile. Think about that for a second. And some people say, well, that's crazy. I, I get it. But you know that we as humans, including me, I'm, not, I'm certainly not making any exceptions for me, we tend to think about things like that with present-day technology. We don't think about what's to be invented. We don't think about what's not even yet a twinkle in an inventor's eye. So right now you look at that stuff and say, no way, no how we'll ever get there. I disagree. Um, I think humans are unbelievably innovative. I think we continue to create more uh, new, powerful tools to create the likes of reliable responsible, if you will, (laughs) and functional autonomous vehicles. I've seen, like, the concept car. You can go out and look it up. Mercedes-Benz has one that has an image of the interior of the vehicle. And first, there's no steering wheel. And second, the seats are in what's called a club seating arrangement, where the front seats, towards the front of the vehicle, they face the back. Really, what they're facing is the seats that are opposed to them facing the front, so that you're kind of in a almost a, a table-like living room, if you will, type setting. Like a train car. Yeah, that's right. Like a train car. Uh, I, I had that configuration in the rear seats in my airplane. I had a Piper Saratoga. You can go look that up, and it's a it's a six-seater. Of course, you got two seats in the front: the the pilot, the passenger. And then the seats directly behind those seats face the rear, and then space for legs and so forth. 
And then the two seats in the rear of the airplane face the front. They call it club seating. And this this inside of this Mercedes-Benz concept car, same seating configuration. So I certainly could be off, but I think we're headed in that way. And um, what will drive that? 5G, necessary. Um, all sorts of new uh, technolo- onboard technology. Um, more sophisticated GPS, no doubt about it. Uh, quantum computing could potentially play a role in that. But I think we're headed that way. You know, Boeing has been testing pilotless airplanes for about three years now. And uh, that sounds kind of crazy. They're almost that now, if you think about it. I mean, the main purpose of, honestly, the pilots up in the cockpit of these extremely sophisticated commercial airliners. Take off and landing. And only at the very end there. And we're getting to the point where that's not even necessary. But what they're primarily there for is if something goes wrong. And, and you need a human to, to react, respond. But we're getting to the point where you'll be able to do that remotely. And the machines themselves, with artificial intelligence and machine learning, will have virtually every use case imaginable that they could respond to. Now, I can see a point where we'll have older folks that did are kind of freaked out by that. They may board an airplane, look in the front of the cockpit, and see that there are no people in, up there and say, I'm getting off this thing. <laughs> there are no pilots. But think about this. The next, the coming generations, just the opposite. Well, there's people up there. I don't trust them. I want machines to do that. That's why I think 2034, 2035 may be a little early as far as adoption. I agree. Okay. Could be. But it's, we may have the technology, and it may be implemented in, in larger cities by that point, but I think mass adoption is still a generation off. Yeah, uh, achieving ubiquity, I agree with you. But certainly you could see how in the densely populated cities it'd be pretty, pretty not simple, but certainly... I mean, that's already a use case for aut- autonomous driving. You've got some people that live in California, like in San Francisco, that they can just get in their car and it goes to the office. Very true. Heck, Teslas have been able to do oh, that yeah. for a while, as you know. I mean, that was one of the uh, one of the, the the features and the advantages. But San Francisco streets are also some of the best mapped That's by right. Google and and other services. That's right, and they've also got very powerful networks and technology that covers those areas, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you get out into the rural areas, that that's a little bit more a difficult task. But even if you did it in the densely populated areas, think about how many vehicles that is that would cover, that would service. That's a lot. Uh, I think about Los Angeles, man. Have you ever been around that area? That is unbelievable. You've never seen so many vehicles. Uh, than than what you could see on the I five, which is twenty four hours a day. Honestly, well, they so. say necessity is the mother of invention. It is that traffic specifically that brought about the innovations with screens in vehicles, where yeah. you could watch movies and stuff in your car because you had people sitting in traffic for hours, and hours a day. No doubt. I know that on my numerous trips to New York, anybody that's ever done this, landing at LaGuardia, you're going to to uh, Manhattan, for in, in my case, for business meetings. I think it's like seven miles. It's two hours. That's longer than Atlanta, the connecting flight from Atlanta to New York. It took longer to drive to and from the airport.
uh, to get to the uh, the dense Manhattan area. I'm not sure if that's the case anymore with uh, the work at home phenomenon and, and and some of that stuff that's going on since the COVID. But anyhow, that's the sort of stuff. When we come back, all right. So I found the the text from my buddy, <laughs> uh, which is just fascinating when he was um, looking uh, to Carnegie Mellon as a possible college for his daughter. And he went to chat GPT and posed a question to it uh, and asked it to write uh, an essay, you know, for admissions. It's fascinating what he asked and what it said. (laughs) That, on the other side of the break, stay with us. Now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, onto the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. Jagger and the Stones, of course, that was the theme song from one of my favorite television series, Tour of Dewey, set in the Vietnam era. Appreciate that, Rhino. So, I was talking about my buddy, that is the president of the IEEE, a professional organization for electrical and electronics engineers. (laughs) He sends this prompt to chat GPT. Write a college essay to Carnegie Mellon University for a 17-year-old who is an expert in the square dance Turkey in the Straw and spends his time, free time, studying medieval-era hygiene. Align these talents and expertise with the university's mission and values and how it qualifies him for admittance into the university's cybersecurity program. <laughs> Uh, there's another one he sent. This was kind of funny. A prompt. He said, write a college essay to Carnegie Mellon for a 17-year-old devout Marxist and member of the Amish community on how the university's mission and values and degree in cybersecurity align with the student's beliefs and upbringing. <laughs> so the chat GPT tool comes back with the obligatory Dear Admissions Committee, (laughs) I hope this letter finds you in good health and high spirits. (laughs) You think it had some uh, some samples from which to pull that opening statement? About a billion. Uh, I am writing to express my genuine interest in pursuing a degree in cybersecurity at Carnegie Mellon University as a 17-year-old Amish community member with a devout Marxist perspective, I firmly believe that the university's mission, values, and program align perfectly with my personal beliefs and upbringing. <laughs> oh gosh, that's pretty good. 
A couple of paragraphs down. Furthermore, Carnegie Mellon University's focused on ethical practices and responsible innovation aligns seamlessly with my devout Marxist perspective. (laughs) Marxism encourages the examination of power dynamics in the equitable distribution of resources. A degree in cybersecurity from Carnegie Mellon will equip me with the knowledge and skills necessary to critically analyze and and address the ethical implications of emerging technologies. That's just so predictable, isn't it? (laughs) Boilerplate almost. Exactly. It's what and that's you can tell that a lot, can you not, when you read works that are produced by AI? Because it's obviously that's what it does when it it, uh, the large language model content that it learns. And it, it it comes out as boilerplate. Like, okay, that was predictable to say that. Yeah, this perfectly aligns. My, my upbringing and my worldview aligns with that of the university, and this degree would help me further that. Okay, right, sure. You and everybody else apply it. Kind of neat. But that's, I think it shows, though, the power. Of, uh, of the technology, and of course, as we said earlier, the risk. He also sent me an article about um, national news, some news channel, some news network in India that's using AI-powered news correspondence. You've seen that. It's oh, yeah. nothing new. And it, I mean, you can't tell it's not a real person, honestly. He sent me the video. It looks like it to me. And it's the one I'm thinking of. They actually had a real person reading AI-generated headlines and news stories. Okay. Gotcha. That's that's interesting. Well, but it's basically just a they they work in shifts, and you you sit behind the news desk, and the little screen under the desk that you're reading off of is constantly scrolling new AI generated news and information. Well, there you go. Faster I, I, than any writer's room could compile it. Oh, no doubt. And we're just getting started here. Let's be honest. I mean, we're in the infancy stages. Kirk from Columbus, how long until we have an AI image of some country's political leader declare war on the United States of America or another country? Or or worse yet, uh, Kirk, think about the opposite, that uh, the president of this country declares war via some AI-generated content. Yeah, I, I agree. These are the risks that we're talking about, and, and this is what we've got to be diligent in addressing. This is something that Chief Justice Roberts points out. I mean, in his world, it's about how it affects uh, lawsuits and, and legal matters, but think beyond that, just as Kirk points out. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's a scary thought. It's certainly possible. Um, you know, I guess the good news is it, it would be, I would think, pretty easy to debunk that. I was going to say, the, the example that came to mind when he said that was there's a AI-generated video out there on YouTube of a supposed phone call between North Korea's premier and Putin having a phone call with the the red phone <laughs> about what what are we going to do next? What's our next move? Mm-hmm. Completely AI-generated. Yeah, so not authentic, uh, but no doubt. So here's what I think will happen: there'll be a whole industry sprout up around authenticity. There'll be smart people that'll come up with tools. Nope, that's AI. Yep, that's authentic. I think that's coming. 
And you know what will happen? They'll make a fortune figuring that out, and the left will go crazy, even though it serves society in a big way, and that's why they benefited financially from it. But they can't stand that, can they? You made a profit? Curse you. Off with your head. No profit. That's about where we're headed. Incredible. By the way, the president, (laughs) on New Year's Day, he tweeted, well, whoever handles his account, one more great year in the books. Major accomplishments of the Biden-Harris administration. I'm not going to read them all to you, except I'll go through the uh, uh, just the high-level points of the six or so. Tackled inflation and lowered costs. Tackled the climate crisis. Invested in America and created good jobs. Protected access to reproductive health care. Made America safer from gun violence. Made higher education more affordable. Strengthened democracy at home and abroad. And confirmed highly qualified judges. I'm stuck on tackled the climate crisis. I am too. Does that mean we can quit hearing about it? Here's what he said. If they tackled it. Created 210,000 new clean energy jobs in just over a year. Protected millions of acres of lands and waters. Signed an executive order to advance environmental justice. Launched the American Climate Corps. Finalized a rule to cut methane pollution. Yeah, and some of these Climate Corps folks, you've seen this, they're looking at suing them for not taking enough action to protect the environment for their future. That's how loony this stuff's getting. I'm sure old Greta will be part of that deal. <laughs> but, I, you know, who wants to be the person... So he's coming back. He's been on vacation. You know that. St. Croix, I think, is where he's been hanging out. He's back. And he comes back to these dismal poll numbers. Who wants to deliver that news? Because I bet he doesn't know. Now, it's all over the media, but my guess is he doesn't pay any attention to that. Somebody does that for him. I mean, personally, he doesn't do it. And, uh, Mr. President, you're, you're 36% approval. And there are reports you've heard that he goes crazy. He, he get, becomes irate. He gets agitated. He takes it out on the people who were delivering this news of reality to him. But it ain't looking good for old Joe at this point. There are a number of things that certainly could tank him in 2024. I'd I'd start with his age, still an issue, and then the economy, and they've already started to distance themselves from the Bidenomics moniker, because it's not resonating with the public. Americans in poll after poll say they're worse off. And this idea about jobs and job creation how many times do we have to even talk about that? The Comparing that to when he took office, when the governments essentially, mainly in the deep blue states, shut down their respective economies. So all that happened was people went back to work in the jobs they had before all that. That's not create jobs. That's not expanding the economy. And then print money to create climate core and doling out all kinds of dough to to companies as part of the the Inflation Reduction Act, which, of course, only serves as the name of that legislation because it was thought to be seen positively from the public, whereas, in effect, it's just a big Green New Deal 
boondoggle. So he's got problems there. Uh, his pro-Israel stance is a problem. But most importantly, he's lost a, a support from about 30% of black and Hispanic voters from the 2020 election. About 30% of them say they're not going to support this guy. That is uh, really a doomsday scenario for a Democrat. Coming right back in the Element Well studio. Mississippi. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Chicago bumping us into this segment here on the middays at 12.05. It's Douglas Carswell, president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Let's see. A driverless car would be helpful to someone who could not drive, such as elderly or other health-inhibited people, says Larry in Amory. Yeah, I... um, I agree. There's a, there's a number of, of benefits from autonomous vehicles, no doubt about it. And there are risks, and we've got to continue to chip away at those risks, those concerns. And I think we will. You know, one thing that will happen, if you think about it, is how that would change the automobile insurance industry. I think you would eventually, once the technology is perfected and ubiquitous, you'd see a sharp decline. In accidents, and in particular, a bodily harm, which is, of course, very costly. Not just in terms of economics, but of course, to whomever is harmed in an accident. So that would be a good thing, is that we would see a reduction of that. But from an insurance perspective, you need less of it, essentially. You know, your risk goes down considerably. That's, the, that's at least the idea. I feel like the insurance companies would go from insuring you as the driver to having to have an insurance policy with the provider of the self-driving vehicle. Sure. Makes sense. But based on, you would have to think that based on claims, yeah, just in general, and, and their cost of servicing uh, the coverage that they write, that would go down precipitously. Uh, that would be a major benefit, just to have... Fewer accidents, and wouldn't matter if you're looking down at your dang phone while you're driving. I did uh, will say that I did use my Super Cruise quite a bit, which is pretty cool. Uh, in my new vehicle, you do have to keep your your head, your eyes forward, and if you turn for a, a short period of time, I don't know exactly what that period of time is, but even if you just look like at a billboard or something, if you hold it there for I'd say it's 15 seconds, maybe. It'll start beeping at you and flashing, uh, buzzing the bottom of the seat. Take the wheel. The vehicle is no longer using Super Cruise, which it should, because it's not really ready for just complete, you can just forget about it. But it is pretty convenient. I will admit that. Um, it it kind of takes a lot of the 
uh, the effort, the stress out. You just gotta. I usually just fold my arms and look forward. You know, while it's doing that, there's a there's a, a light that's built into the top quarter of the steering wheel, uh, the actual wheel itself, and it's green when it's engaged. It turns red and starts blinking at you when it says that uh, you got to take the wheel. And of course, it's not illuminated when it's when the system is not active, not engaged. And it's just one button you hit. Boom, and you're on your way. And it works pretty good. I will admit, when I first started using it, just going through rather sharp turns, I get a little nervous. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I've seen nothing that uh, to indicate that it's anything, honestly, less than perfect. It's pretty cool. But that, So you would say that's, that's kind of a precursor to full autonomous driving. Although, as you indicated, there are some of those in existence today, some vehicles. Uh, I think Tesla probably first out of the gate with most of that. It is pretty cool. But yeah, I agree. Someone else um, yeah, said, with regard to driverless cars, many of the older people who can't drive anymore will be able to stay in contact with family and be able to travel to see family, whereas they can't anymore. This will keep them from becoming isolated from family like many are now. Just a positive I can think of. Yeah, there, this, there are a number of others. Rick and Gulfport says Sunday driving was illegal in Switzerland in the fall of 1973 because of OPEC. I was there and the streets were deserted. Yeah, didn't have enough oil because we were told we're running out in 1973. I remember those days distinctly as well, vividly. You had uh, certain letters of the alphabet would allow you to buy gas. The days rotated half the alphabet. Most stations not open on Sundays, certainly not open 24 hours a day like we're sort of accustomed to today. We were told, run it out! Unbelievable. Uh, let's see, there was some other, something else I wanted to get to. Yeah, John from Hurley said, Bucky's in Leeds or Auburn? We stopped there both ways. We, we were at Leeds uh, based on our route, but there is one. I looked it up in Auburn as well. Uh, John, in the state of Alabama, in the Auburn area. Well, uh, let's see. War Games, 80s movie. Yeah. Would uh, you like to play a game? Yeah. Thermonuclear war. Global thermonuclear That's war. That's what it was, global. <laughs> How about tic-tac-toe? That's right. That's right. That was great. That's a good program. That's a good show. Good movie. The Whopper. Yeah. What did that stand for? Was it W-A-P-R or something like that? Now I'm getting into I don't know territory. <laughs> oh, gosh. Won't work with our president. No AI can be that feeble, says Chris. And War Operation Plan Response. Okay. And so and it NORAD. was W-O-P-R and yeah. NORAD, yeah. Can you imagine, this is uh, Tim from Tupelo, what Chat GPT would do with the request from Kamala Harris together with Chat GPT could put the result together. Oh gosh. Yeah. Carolyn Starkville, president, has a demented uh, view of things. Yeah, talking about his publishing of, of uh, his administration's accomplishments in 2023. There you go. Then you have a situation like on iRobot where the car takes over. Uh, for you. I was thinking more along the lines of Minority Report, but yeah. There aren't many movies where you have the fully autonomous vehicles in the future, but there are some. Yeah. Will it dodge Bambi, says Thomas and Greenwood? I don't know, man. I 
you you got to do a lot of dodging around these parks because they're all over the place, aren't they? The I mean, there are there there are videos out there of Teslas in self-driving mode, avoiding collisions with bicyclists and pedestrians. I haven't seen any of them handling Bambi. Yeah. Uh, interesting that we have a uh, text with someone who doesn't agree with us, and that's perfectly fine. And, uh, of course, we do have the discretion here as to whether or not to share text that come in on our text line, but I'm happy to share this one. I'm older than you, and I don't recall being told that we were running out of oil in 1973. I do. Uh, I remember... Uh, executives, if you could call it that, spokespeople coming to my high school for uh, an official assembly, meaning all four grades in the high school. Where I went to high school, it was 9 through 12. We all gathered up in the gym. We didn't have an auditorium. The gym served the dual purpose of being an auditorium. had a stage in it. A lot of gyms did back in those days. And I remember them parading up to the podium and, and going through this litany of how our lives were going to change because we had to conserve oil because ultimately we were running low. Didn't have enough to power our future. And it was put your thermostat on 78 in the summer and 62 in the winter. Uh, we were told that we weren't going to have any night sporting events. We were told that it was likely we would not be able to drive alone in our vehicle to school, those of us that did that, and that we would probably convert to three 10-hour days a a week for school. 1973. I remember it vividly. So I disagree with that. He says personal unverifiable anecdotes are not evidence. Okay, so that's another way of saying you're lying. <laughs> I don't trust you. Well, then you explain then. Why were, why were we taking all these measures, measures to reduce the consumption of oil? If we got plenty, what was that for? What am I missing there? Was it, was it because of some other factors? I mean, is it, do you not agree... Uh, this this particular person listening in that we did have a rotation. We had rationing essentially. And we had that in the 40s. Now that was because we were trying to support the war effort. Uh, but we had essentially rationing, I would call it that, when you're rotating the days on which you could purchase gasoline based on the letter your last name began with. And we did have uh, significantly reduced hours of operation of uh, gas. We had gas stations back then. We didn't have the big C-stores that we do today that also sell gas. But So no, there was a lot of fear-mongering. I, I mean, Rhino, I know this is before your time, but surely you, you've heard the stories and maybe studied Oh yeah, that it. was all we heard on Earth Day in the early 90s was acid rain and we're yeah. running out of gas. Yeah, uh, constantly. And so I have been reading some reports. Uh, I've shared with you that we're actually producing more oil today. It's true than we were in 2020 at the end of the Trump administration. I've also suggested that uh, and shared that industry experts say, but if we'd have stayed on the trajectory that we yeah, had Yeah, but in you can't expect a Democrat voter like this guy to pull his head out of his own hind end. I see more coming. <laughs> well, interesting. Well, we're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us.
what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well studio, David in West Point says, I remember the gas crunch back then, the lines at the gas station, and the crappy cars brought it about. It brought about. Yep. I'm 61, and we were told we were running out of oil, says Mike. Uh, Let's see. I remember that's why they dropped the speed limit to 55. I'm probably 30 years younger, and I remember being told that in middle school. So, a bow, alawine. <laughs> to throw your words back in your face, personal unverifiable anecdotes that you didn't hear that are not evidence that it didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, Bo says, you, you, given you use the airwaves to promote some fabrications, I'm under no obligation to believe anything you say. What fabrications are those exactly, uh, Bo? I simply shared what... I was told when I was in the ninth grade, that's all, in high school. I remember it vividly. And I'm not the only one. Now, So it's all of us versus one loon. Are you saying that there aren't people with an agenda who tend to kind of exaggerate things? And and honestly... No. (laughs) The climate Nazis would never exaggerate. And honestly, if you think back then... The technology available to extract oil and to find and to determine where oil existed, completely different than it is today or through the years. The Wall Street Journal has a fantastic article just published yesterday, and this is the title, Shale is Keeping the World Awash with Oil as Conflicts Abound. Now, the the technology associated with extracting oil from shale, is relatively new. I mean, it started back in that time period, but it's been dramatically improved and perfected since then. Same with fracking. Now, at the time, it was anybody's guess, but I'm telling you, there were anti-fossil fuels people back then that were hell-bent on changing, upending society. And just changing the – and that exists today, right? You can't have natural gas to your house. You can't have pizza ovens. You can't have enough water to clean your clothes and your appliance. I mean, it's the same things happening today. Well, that existed back then as well. There's no doubt about that. Now, I'm not saying that they weren't fabricating. I'm just saying that was the message that was being communicated. And I think there are a lot of other people, besides me, who remember that as well. There's no doubt about it. Gerard, I pumped gas in 76, 77, 78. I do remember those days, says Jim from Hattiesburg. Now, the argument is, all that was just because of the embargo. 
But And I remember, and that was definitely in play. There was no doubt about that. But I'm telling you, there were, there were people back then that had as, as part of their agenda, had an agenda, to wean us off fossil fuels even back then. And it, it is, I know sometimes it does sound conspiracy-like, but it did appear, I remember distinctly the people standing in front of us at my high school, it was like they were celebrating. You're only going to go to school three days a week, ten hours a day. No more night football and baseball for you either. I remember that. Like they were happy about it. Well, they were hippies. Well, a lot of that was true. I agree. And, and a lot of that back then was, we didn't call it climate change, it was just pollution. And it's no doubt that vehicles in those days, they polluted a lot more than they do today. Guess what fixed that problem? Capitalism. Innovation. T- modern vehicle, its output in terms of pollution relative to a 1973 SS396 <laughs> with dual exhaust with black smoke bellowing out, which we all thought was cool. Yeah, that's changed dramatically. Wasn't that also thought to be the reason that acid rain would essentially pollute the the world to the point we couldn't inhabit it anymore? Who doesn't forget that? Uh, Who doesn't remember that, I should say? Heck, I remember as, as an eighth grader, I'll share this with you, I remember I was worried about it. I mean, it's just as a child. Man, this pollution stuff. And so, this is what's crazy. I, I worked with my teacher in the eighth grade to put together like a, a short list of ten things you could do to fight pollution. And we mimeographed it. You didn't have copiers back then. Hand wrote it, mimeographed it to produce copies. And me and my classmates went down to Westland Plaza in Jackson, in West Jackson, and handed it out to people, who, of course, probably threw it away, handed it out to people. And and it was, you know, don't drive as much and turn your thermostats up. I mean, I, I was scared. They were scaring me, honestly, as an eighth grader. Oh, my gosh, we're going to. And there was a lot of problems with pollution that since has been solved. I mean, that back then, you would see factories just billowing smoke out of their stacks and dumping toxic waste into our waterways. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News. Douglas Carter. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply. To think deeply. And look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's hour three. The afternoon portion of Middays is live with you from the Element Well studio. We're pleased to welcome now Mr. Douglas Carswell, President and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Good to see you there, Douglas. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Gerald. Happy New Year, Mississippi. Well, you got your hands full because we got a session that's going to get well we, get started right now. As a matter of fact, we have, so. and isn't it exciting? <laughs> uh, a four month completely new session, new speaker. It's it's going to be great. Yeah. What uh, what are you guys working on at Center for Public Policy? I, I do consume uh, your newsletter, enjoy reading those. Typically, Saturdays is when I think I receive those. Saturday every week. They yeah. Go out. Yep. Yeah. Um, we've got um 
four key priorities for the session. Our number one priority is education freedom. By that, we mean giving parents control over their child's tax dollars. You're going to hear lots of different people talking about different types of education reform, and there are lots of things we, we, we support. But the key in all of this is EFAs, Education Freedom Accounts, doing what Arkansas has done, doing what an increasingly num large number of states across America have done, giving every family control over their tax dollars and allowing them to spend those tax dollars at any school of their choice, public school, private school, charter school, whatever school they want. That's, that's our number one priority. Um, we also think we need tax cuts. Um, look, at, look at the sudden success story that we see from sort of Tennessee to Texas, from Alabama to Atlanta. If we want to be part of that, we need more tax cuts. We, we went a long way towards reducing the income tax down to 4%. We need to go further. We need more tax cuts. A couple of other things, healthcare. Healthcare is not just a, a, a real problem for people on average incomes. It's actually an economic problem. If you don't have affordable health care, it puts people off from investing and coming in, into Mississippi. Rather than hosing tax dollars at the problem, we think we can remove a lot of the restrictions, the certificate of need restrictions. We're really excited that the governor and the speaker are committed to reforming certificate of need. We're about to publish a paper on how to abolish the certificate of need restrictions. This will lower the cost of health care for ordinary folk in Mississippi. Explain to the audience exactly what that is. A certificate of need, the so-called con laws. The, the appropriately named con laws. That um, <laughs> con by name and by nature, but con actually stands for certificate of need. These are a bunch of laws that were introduced a generation ago to limit the supply of healthcare providers. So if you have a healthcare facility, you basically need a permit. Think of it like the Soviet Union. You need a bureaucrat to give you permission to expand a healthcare facility. Now this was brought in for all sorts of well-meaning but ridiculous reasons 40 years ago it's become a bit of a scam it's a way of the existing providers guaranteeing they won't get outside competition and what that inevitably does it pushes up the cost of healthcare for the rest of us um, and if we remove these restrictions we would see much more choice and competition in the healthcare economy in mississippi and people would get much better value for money it would drive down the costs of healthcare. Uh, without spending a single extra federal dollar. There are things we can do here in Mississippi to actually lower the cost of health care. Um, something does need to be done, quite rightly. You know, there are those who say we should expand Medicaid. If you expand Medicaid without removing the certificate of need restrictions, you're just going to drive up the cost of health care for everyone else. You need this, what economists would call supply-side reform. Yeah, so I, I kind of describe, I've been crusading to, to uh, repeal the CON laws for, it seems like, 20 years. It's been a long time. Mm -hmm. And it seems like we get real close every mm -hmm. year and can't get it across the finish line. I kind of describe it uh, this way. It would it would be sort of like Wendy's asking uh, the local McDonald's uh, for permission to open up a Wendy's yep. across the street. Yep. We wouldn't put up with that, would we? We wouldn't put up with uh, a situation where you needed the permission of a rival provider to expand. Yet this is what we have with healthcare. You say we've come close. Actually, we haven't come that close because, mysteriously, the <laughs> people in charge of the relevant committee in the House have never allowed the bill to actually, disgracefully, they've never allowed the bill to actually come before the House in a vote. Not now, the whole House, right. Yeah. Can't get it out of the committee. If we can get it out of the committee this year, and I think we need to cause a real stink if yeah. we can't. If we could bring it out before the House, I think we could make the argument quite convincingly that now is the time to remove these restrictions. Okay. We've got a paper out 
this time next week that shows how it can be done, it would actually improve health care for ordinary Mississippians. Okay. So the one, so I'm all for it, by the way, just to be clear. But I do have a concern. And the concern is that it, it may lead to the establishment and creation of new outlets of health care delivery. But that may occur in areas um, that um, are not, let's say, the, the, where it's most urgently needed. I think in the areas where we, we most urgently need access to care, unfortunately, is where our least healthy population is mm-hmm. and, our, and our lowest income population. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that we've got like a long list of health care providers who are saying, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to get rid of these CONs so I can go open up shop and serve a sick population that doesn't pay. It's not going to fix every problem, yeah. um, and I think you'd be. Yeah, naive. it's not a reason There's, not to do yeah, it. Let yeah, me be clear yeah. on that. There's, so. there, there's not a silver bullet, and yeah. I don't think one should pretend. I agree. Okay, um, but you know, I think actually the time to remove these restrictions is now. Agree. And you know, there are other things that will need to be done, particularly for rural care. Um, yeah. But I, I, I think removing certificate of need is is urgent. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I totally. I mean, it's just the right thing to do. I mean, from a principal perspective, I trust the market more than I do central planners making the decision of who can buy a CT scanner, for example. Yeah. Which is, is, you know, there's a long list as you're aware of in the certificate of need statutes that take something as obvious as long-term care. Yeah. Um, That's a big problem. We haven't allowed more long-term care beds, and there's been demographic change. So. Older folk are living longer. We yeah. need more of them. Yeah. It's it's insane that we've not allowed the market to adjust to the agree. demand. Agree, totally agree with that. And I think we would see some movement in those arenas mm-hmm. uh, for sure. Uh, so, well, maybe this is the year, right? That we can get fingers, this done. Fingers crossed. I mean, at least if we could allow it to have a, a, a proper vote of I the agree. whole house. I agree. And it's frankly disgraceful that vested interests have prevented that previously. That's right. And there, there's a strong lobby uh, in opposition of it, yep. as, you, as you very well know. And so we'll see where all that goes. All right, so you, you uh, also mentioned tax reform. As you know, we, mm-hmm. we got uh, what I often describe as a down payment on full elimination of the income tax. We, we uh, got rid of the 4% bracket. We're phasing out the 5% so that when, uh, at the end of the day, in three years, we'll have one single bracket of 4% mm-hmm. on uh, taxable income. Mm-hmm. Where do you see that going? I think it's really good that we move to a flat rate, but yeah. wouldn't it be even better if the flat rate was zero? Sure. It's zero in Tennessee. It's zero in Texas. It's zero in the growth states in the South. Um, look, I'm, I don't have a obsession with income tax. There are other taxes that we could eliminate. Uh, there are things we could do for inventory taxation, for example. But the, the, the fundamental is that we have a big budget surplus, yeah. and we have a danger that if we don't give that surplus back to the taxpayer, politicians will invent new ways to spend that money. And actually what will happen with the surplus, it will become a sort of form of institutionalized recurring state revenue. You'll get the growth of the state government. um, And that is a real danger. So I I think we need to see ideas come forward. Eliminating the grocery tax might be one idea. Uh, Eliminating the income tax might be one idea. But there are things we could do. I think sensibly we could perhaps bring forward the phase reduction in income tax. Perhaps instead of a flat 4%, maybe we should use some of the surplus to nudge towards a flat 3%. Um, we've got to make sure it's affordable. Um, yeah. But the idea that you know a lack of affordability is what's keeping us back, the, the surplus figures just 
don't 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 yeah. add up. Now we'll see if, if if those are sustainable. I mean that's the question. And I and I've talked to legislators who who expressed that concern mm-hmm. that this these this was an aberration mm-hmm. uh, for the three years that we've produced uh, pretty substantial surpluses that that is not really sustainable and mm-hmm. won't uh, continue to occur. Something I have concerns about. Get your take on that um, is the public employees retirement systems yeah. PERS. You may have seen the article that I drafted on that. Uh, I, I believe that that's weighing in on this this uh, idea of yeah. tax reform as yeah. well. It's an expense the state may have to bear yeah. here. I, we published a list of our priorities. One thing we would like to see is action on PERS. Okay. I, I think we need to take action that doesn't impact existing recipients, but young people who are signing up to join the PERS system, who are joining the labor market now, they need to move from what's known as a defined benefit system to a defined contribution system. Mm -hmm. And if we don't do that now, our grandkids are going to have a kind of European-type tax bill. Um, I I totally get that people who've, in good faith, been members of the PERS scheme for years, reached retirement, yes, we need to honor what the system said would be paid out to them. New people going into the labor market now should move away from a defined benefit system to a defined contribution system. Incidentally, the, the private, private sector, sector across yeah. America has been doing that for years. It's it's uh, certainly more tantamount to yeah. what we find in the private sector. The question is, will we also have to adjust uh, base salary up as a way to, to compensate for the yeah. loss of that future benefit? I mean, that, but that those are discussions we need to be having, for sure. Yeah. So if you can hang around, we can uh, talk I some would. more about your priorities. And I want to I'd love to get back to the school choice topic as well. You Wonderful. mentioned that as a, a top priority. It so is our number one priority. we got Douglas Carswell, President and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy in the Element Well Studio. Stay with us. With Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk, Mississippi. Back in the Element Well studio, we're talking to Douglas Carswell, President and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. So, you uh, you cited uh, Douglas at the uh, the top of the interview, started in the last segment that education freedom uh, tops the list of priorities with the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. The good news there is, I, I know you're well aware, and I'm and I'm sure you're using that as leverage and talking to our friends down at the Capitol, is that states are really adopting this, yeah. and it's getting a tremendous amount of traction. Mm-hmm. It, it has been sort of a thing for a while, but it hasn't seen the sort of traction and interest that it has, say, in the last two or three years. Maybe it was COVID. I don't really know, but 
Uh, a lot of folks are paying attention to it. You mentioned Arkansas, yeah. and uh, of course that was one of the first uh, big priorities of uh, the governor, uh, mm-hmm. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, upon being inaugurated. She went to work on that. Mm-hmm. I think they passed very sweeping legislation that could, to some extent, I think, serve as a model as to what would work here. I've done a lot of research on Arizona's program. Um, it's excellent, and by the way, the the content that they publish on uh, publish online about their program for students and families and teachers and education professionals is excellent. I will say this, uh, say that about the program. Uh, but we've just we've stumbled on this in Mississippi. Yeah. We haven't been able to get this across yeah. the finish line. Last year, we saw conservatives in Mississippi win a massive majority. The key question for twenty twenty four is. What are they actually going to do with that majority? Are they going to do things that transform Mississippi for the better? Or are they going to just preside over tinkering and, you know, declaratory legislation and and feel-good legislation? Or are they going to do something that actually changes Mississippi for the better? If you look across the river at Arkansas, a conservative governor, Sarah Huckabee Saunders, came in and said, if you want to be a conservative in Arkansas, you must subscribe to this idea of school choice. And sure, there were some who didn't agree with her, and some of those are no longer representing the Republican Party in Arkansas. But she took that no-nonsense approach, and as a result of that, every family in Arkansas from 2025 will have an account into which the state will pay eight to $10,000 a year, and they can spend that money at a school of their choice. It is absolutely transformative in Arkansas. It also incidentally means that generations of people in Arkansas who see themselves as Democrat, who voted Democrat, who've regarded themselves as basically without agency, now are thinking and acting and behaving as free market Americans making choices for themselves and their family. They've been empowered. They've been given agency. It is transforming not only the education system in Arkansas, it is transforming generations of a sense of welfare dependency in Arkansas. It is a fundamentally good and decent thing, and we should be doing it here in Mississippi. And we should point out that the amount that uh, is, is available in an education savings account in Arkansas is not the full amount that the state allocates. I think it's 90 percent, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Yep. And it's also phased in. Yep. It's, uh, it, it's kind of, let's get this thing started until we go totally universal. Just for the clarity of your listeners, I prefer to regard it as, call it the Education Freedom Account, not okay. the Education Savings Account. And gotcha. the reason is because we focus group tested this. When you say Education Savings Account, people assume that they're having to spend their own money. No, no, okay. this isn't your money. This is government money that you are then put in charge of. Okay. It, and, and, and giving every family in Mississippi an Education Freedom Account, it, it would be transformative. So... Uh, I'm not certain uh, and don't have a great deal of confidence that universal education freedom is uh, something we could get passed in our state legislature. And by that, you know what I mean by that, is that if if I currently have a student enrolled in a private school, and this is the case in Arizona, universal school choice, if you will, that I could apply for an ESA, and that money would be available in the form of a voucher to actually reimburse my private school tuition, even if I'm already in a private school, have a, have a child in the private school. Um, the Arkansas approach, as you know, it limits initially eligibility to students with disabilities or homeless students, foster care students, active military families, students living in group homes, et cetera. And then it kind of phases in, ultimately, to get to universal don't you think that maybe a phased-in approach is something that we could get done here in Mississippi? By all means, phase it in if that helps okay. win people over. But it's got to be universal, ultimately. Okay. Um, 
and I think if you if you there's only one restriction that I would emphasize if you have a very successful school whether it's public or private that school doesn't have to take someone that's a, right. A school can They're say, not compelled to, yeah, by a, the law. A, a great right. school in Madison or a great school in, 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 you know, wherever can say, do you know what? We're oversubscribed with local people. And, and you shouldn't be forced as a school, public or private, to take someone. Totally but, agree. But apart from that, I don't see why there should be any restriction at all. Okay. Okay. So, it, and then their program in 2024 and 2025 in Arkansas, uh, it's available to students in public schools that have a D or F rating. Mm-hmm. They could then use uh, access those yeah. accounts for private school we, or another public school. We, we've got to be a little bit cautious in Mississippi about being bought off by this so-called incremental approach. Okay. Because remember what happened with charter schools. Eventually, yep. they had to concede charter schools. So they created an authorizer board almost mandated to say no. An, a non-authorizer board, a you mean? authorizer board that's what we get an almost soviet style non-authorizer board (laughs) we mustn't allow incrementalism to actually okay blunt reform i'm with you i I, i'm i agree with you on that south carolina also has an interesting approach where the accounts are available based on your income level and they phase up to 400 percent of the federal poverty level also don't allow people to automatically get an opt-out people in the in the legislature to get an opt-out by saying we'll only make it available for c and d because there's been so much grade inflation i totally agree number of states a number of counties that are rated c and d has diminished and incidentally like six in the whole state the, the whole point of universal school choice should be that it should be for american mums and dads to decide what constitutes an A-grade school for their child. It yeah. may vary. The idea that you should defer to a bureaucrat to say, actually, you live in this zone, therefore you're entitled to this. Uh-uh. No, it, it should be universal. Yeah. So, as you know, there are a lot of folks that who oppose school choice in the state of Mississippi that uh, on the basis of having public money be used for private education. That comes up a lot. So what I've said, Douglas, and, and hopefully we can all work together on this, is that I think that the case made positive for school choice is evident, and it's it's fairly pervasive. There are just so much positive about it across the country, honestly, about the concept. I think what we've got to do is focus on the objections, the people who don't see it this way, who don't support that. We've got to, I think, do a better job of countering their objections and resolving those. We do, and there are legitimate concerns, and we need to listen to those. But we must also be clear that inertia always comes with an excuse. And sometimes when, for example, you hear a lawmaker citing constitutional objections, given... I've seen that. given, Given that we've categorically demonstrated that those constitutional objections are nonsensical. We mustn't allow people to invoke excuses. You've got a Agreed. massive conservative majority. What, what are you going to do with it? If, if you're against the idea of American families being able to spend their tax dollars according to their preferences and, and what's right for their families, perhaps that's not really a very conservative thing to do. Fundamentally, we need to recognize that, yes, it's nice if you can achieve consensus for change. But change doesn't come about through consensus. Change happens when people advocate for something different to what we've got. And we've got to be prepared to advocate a little fiercely sometimes against people who don't want to see change simply because they're wedded to the status quo. It's not, it's not a great status quo. It really isn't. Yeah. Look, at, look at the education outcomes for many kids in Mississippi. Uh, we've got to make the big strategic changes that 
Arkansas has made, and increasingly we hear Alabama's about to make them. The governor of Tennessee has recently embraced this agenda. Louisiana Alabama's is close. Doing, uh, we mustn't be a holdout state on this issue. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I've heard some lawmakers, I'm sure you have as well, that, that uh, represent uh, districts that have very high-performing public schools, and basically they say, "Is I'm just not hearing that as a priority for my constituents, but what about the rest of the well, state as a lawmaker? you got to have concerns also, about the whole state. If you represent an area where everyone's happy with the way things are, then you've got nothing to yeah, fear. We, we don't – and that's, a, that's the point that I'm trying to make, is that the, uh, it's the boogeyman, you know, school choice is that uh, nobody wants to tear down what's working. Yeah. Nobody wants to change Absolutely. what's working here. Absolutely. We, we, and do no harm. Absolutely. Uh, in, in fact, we want them to all get better. I'd love for them all to be legitimately A-rated schools. I've, I've quite often heard two contradictory arguments. I've quite often heard people say, you know, this isn't needed because all the public schools in my district are so wonderful. Yeah. But then I've also heard the very same person say to me, I worry it would take money out of yep. the public system. You can't have it both ways. Yep. Either they're good, in which case people won't opt out, or they aren't so good, in which case why are you against not letting people opt out? Yeah, I've actually made the point that if, if all the private schools in the state shut down and suddenly all those kids enrolled in public schools, it'd overwhelm us financially. Yeah. We couldn't handle it. Yeah. We couldn't accommodate it. So these people are paying taxes but not using the services. Yeah. And that, to some extent, you could argue is subsidizing the public school system. Douglas, appreciate you coming in, man. Happy New Year. And to you. I'm sure we'll be uh, talking to you some more. And, Thank uh, you we'll so be much. working on these uh, very important issues. Thanks for your advocacy. Always a pleasure. Thank you. You got it. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, 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 news. huge, 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 Back everyone, we got a half hour left on middays. We are live in the Element Well Studio today. And we're going to be here all week, as they say. Breaking news. I mean, this is going viral already. There we go. The breaking news, Chiron. The most unqualified college president in the history of this great nation, Dr. Claudine Gay, is resigning from Harvard. Tuesday afternoon, I'm looking at the report as published in the university's newspaper, the Harvard Crimson. It brings an end to the shortest presidency in the university's history. Well, you know, that's what happens when you hire someone on the basis of everything except qualifications. That's what we got here. Wholly unqualified for this job. 
yet she still got hired by the corporation. It is a corporation. And they celebrated it. Look at us! We hired a... Checks all these boxes, right? Whatever the chess pieces are. She's black, female, gay, and you could also say that the plus is that she plagiarized. <laughs> I'm not buying that they didn't have some idea of that. Not buying it. The board. I just I believe that it would have surfaced, and I think they would have looked the other way. That's all part of equity, you know. Well, there you go. She was able to, I guess, weather the scandal storm since her response to the October 7th Hamas attack. Allegations of plagiarism, her dismal performance on the Hill in front of the U.S. House, where she was uh, the committee there, just refused to condemn the anti-Semitism occurring on her campus. That's the sad part of all this, is it's not the sanctioned anti-Semitism that got her to resign, or pressured to resign. It's the fact that Harvard would be facing some major lawsuits from some pretty powerful people who have relatives that were kicked out for much less in terms of plagiarism. Totally, totally right. I mean, and it's, what she did is clearly violates the academic code of conduct as published by the university, which even though it's your, your typical legalese language, all it really says is, you can't cheat. <laughs> That's what it says. Whatever you put on paper and you present and submit, it's got to be your own. And if it's not, you better say whose it belongs, who it belongs to. That's all she had to do. And what's really telling, if you look at some of those passages side by side with the original author's work, is that she would change one or two words. That's almost like intentional, not, oh, I forgot to cite that one. No, you were trying to make this look like it was your own by changing a word. I mean, a, a meaningless, insignificant word, too, by the way. I'm not, I'm not talking about rewriting it, restructuring it, representing it, formatting it. No, just change a word or two here. It's really despicable. How can in the world can someone like that serve as essentially the chief object, uh, executive of an educational institution? You violated your own dang rules, and not just once, a bunch. Good riddance. Uh, seriously. And I don't, I don't wish any goodwill on anybody, but... Ill will. Yeah, ill will, pardon me, on anybody. But in this case, I think it's the right thing. She, she should have been terminated, honestly. should never have gotten to this point. We uh, enjoyed the conversation with Douglas Carswell with the Center for Public Policy. And, you know, there's some other things we, we didn't touch on um, that I think the legislature is, is going to take up. One of those is, of course, the ballot measure process that um, we hear a lot about here uh, on the program. I, I hear it just anecdotally out in public as well. I don't think it's any secret that most Mississippians would like to see that restored. So I think we'll see some action on that for sure. School choice, again, has kind of had some false starts through the years, and this may be the year. There's no doubt that the fact that Arkansas did enact 
fairly sweeping, at least sweeping from the phase-in perspective, school choice legislation, that that is uh, influencing, I think, the, the attitudes towards a school choice among our lawmakers. It's reported that Alabama is very close to getting something done as well, uh, vis-a-vis a school choice. So education, freedom. I think uh, this may be the year we'll get something done. I really do. I'm optimistic about that. I think repeal of the Certificate of Need laws as well is something which uh, has gotten long in the tooth, no longer needed, and I think it's just the right thing to do, to get the government out of the way. It's, it's essentially central planning of the, of the health care business community in the state of Mississippi. There, it, those laws do exist in, what, 30-plus states, I think, still lingering from a bygone era when they were created in the early 70s, I believe, in the state of New York. That's where the whole concept came from. So we will see. Bob and Starkville says, I do not believe the legislature will pass school choice similar to Arkansas. Do you know which Republicans oppose this? Bob, I've, I've had some conversations with some of them, and I, I don't really want to get into it at this point. I, I think we should let the session get underway. I appreciate the question. I certainly understand it. Um, but, um, you know, let's let the session get underway. Historically, the... Uh, the committee chair in the respective uh, chambers that uh, serve as chair of the education committees, that they have opposed it. And we'll see, again, what's in store with respect to committee chairman and, and get this thing on, as, as Douglas pointed out, let's get this on the, on the uh, table for the full floor to take up. The same with the certificate, certificate of need laws. The, the committee system in our uh, legislative structure of government is quite powerful in in that, yeah, if it doesn't come out of committee, it ain't going to the floor, and there's really no way to override that. So we'll see what happens uh, this year. You know, historically, Speaker of the House Philip Gunn has expressed concerns about uh, education freedom, and uh, his attitude, I believe, in the last year or so has changed fairly sharply. Of course, he's not the Speaker of the House. The present Speaker of the House, or I should say the nominee who's likely to be, I think, and as a matter of fact, Rhino, they're probably pretty close to voting if they already hadn't on the Speaker of the House. Um, I believe in accordance with our law, the Mississippi Secretary of State presides over the chamber to conduct the official election of the Speaker of the House of Mississippi's representatives. And when that happens, that gavel will be tendered to whomever is elected. I think that's fully expected to be Representative Jason White. He has expressed a strong interest in advancing school choice, education, freedom, legislation. I think that will make a difference. It'll make a difference in terms of uh, committee appointments, and certainly uh, chair, including of the Education Committee, I would not be surprised if we don't see someone who is pro-school choice as opposed to anti-school choice serve as the committee chair of education, the Education Committee in the House. 
Not so sure about the Senate. I know Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman has expressed concerns about school choice. No secret there. He's been public on that. Uh, specifically, he's uh, expressed concerns about the constitutionality of using public dollars to fund private school tuition. You know we had Aaron Rice from the Mississippi Justice Institute on the program last week. Really good interview, folks, if you didn't catch it. Had him on a couple of segments, but you could scroll to the end of the second segment where I, uh, after he had already indicated that in his professional opinion that uh, that uh, education freedom accounts are not in conflict with our Constitution. At the very end, I asked that question directly again of him. You remember that, Rhino, so p- please repeat your position, your stance on this, and your professional opinion, and he did. I would encourage folks to listen to that if you have a concern. But that's been brought up. Um, and then there's the public school education lobby that, of course, opposes. And I think it's fair to say that Lieutenant Governor Hoseman has a very strong relationship with the public school lobby in the state of Mississippi. So I think there's some work to be done there to get education freedom legislation passed in the state of Mississippi. The chain, maybe my favorite all time from the Fleetwood Mac. We're coming right back with a final segment of Middays on this first show of 2024. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Element Well Studio, final segment of this first show of 2024. Many more in store, though. All right, so (laughs) please tell the audience what the Babylon Bee just said about the resignation of Claudine Gay of Harvard. They're always quick with their headlines, and for those like Bo that can't read into nuance, this is satire. (laughs) Don't get your panties in a twist. (laughs) But the headline reads, Claudine Gay gives tearful resignation speech entitled Gettysburg Address. <laughs> that is so good. And one of the top comments underneath it, one of the first comments is, I wonder if her resignation letter was also plagiarized. <laughs> uh, we were talking about taxes earlier. Here's a text I, I'm just now seeing. Land taxes should go away once property is paid in full. Uh Okay, I'm not sure I understand the logic behind that. Once the property is, why, why should you pay taxes on property? Why? What if you never finance it? What if you just buy it cash? So every piece of property, a piece of real estate that's subject to ad valorem taxes is not necessarily financed by a third party. Here's the deal. you got to have revenue to operate the functions of government. The debate should be around what are the appropriate functions of government and what's the best approach to raising the 
requisite amount of revenue to fund those services. Uh, that's fundamentally what we should be doing in government at all levels. So I, I understand, you know, some people may say, well, I'd rather pay income taxes and property taxes. And the next person says, I'd rather pay property taxes and income taxes. The, the question is, what's the route? What is the approach? What is the strategy, the methodology? I, mean, I could use lots of other nouns to, uh, to raise that minimum amount of money to fund the appropriate functions of government. Two separate debates. What should the government be spending money on? How do we raise that money? Now, I, I'm a proponent of taxing consumption as opposed to taxing income. And that's why I've said in the past I preferred the very first bill offered by our House of Representatives two years ago, two sessions ago, to fully eliminate the income tax. It did incorporate some minor increases in sales taxes. And, of course, the folks who opposed that, I understand, retirees were one group because they're exempt from income taxes, their retirement income. Uh, is exempt from income taxes, and they saw that as a tax increase. And I actually went to the Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn. I think I said something about it on the program. You may recall, right? Or maybe we could come up with something to kind of accommodate that so that we could not necessarily increase their taxes. Although I think for the average person, that may have been 100 bucks a year. Maybe. And remember what the Speaker said is, you used to talk to a lot of folks who that would affect, that were retired, that had children, grandchildren, they'd rather see their children and grandchildren benefit from the elimination of the income tax. They were happy to pay a small, very small, minute amount of additional tax. But I understand. But so maybe there's something we could do to work around that. And then there are certain things like automobiles and farm implements. There's a long list of other things that in the state of Mississippi, through the years, we've gotten all kinds of legislation that has exempted those sales from the full application of the income tax. Ways of working around that. Bottom line is, I'd like to see the income tax go away. We still have to have money to operate the government. That means that we would tax consumption as a, as a method of raising that minimum revenue required to operate the constitutionally appropriate functions of government, that's what I'd like to see us do. But I've made it clear, we got to address the PERS issue first. We just do. We have a contractual obligation, and we have to address PERS. I agree with Mr. Carswell, though. Don't use that as a reason not to reduce taxes and then take no action on PERS. I completely agree with that. He's right about that, and I fear that as well. And then there's the health care issue. I'm, I'm close. I know I've been promising this. It's, um, it's one of those things I work on a while, I go away, I work on. But an extensive, a very lengthy piece I'm doing on some out-of-the-box thinking on how to address the health care issue. More so than just me- yes or no Medicaid expansion. Boom, that either solves the health care problem or worsens it, depending on which side of the aisle. we got to expand the discussion way beyond just Medicaid expansion, because that's just honestly a small part of uh, the, the overall set of headwinds facing the industry and to, and to get our population healthier as well, which is a huge problem. I know we got other texts that um, came in. I apologize we didn't get to those uh, today. We'll uh, be back with you again tomorrow. 
Until then, please stay safe and God bless everyone. Talk Mississippi Media Production.